Everyone talks about these companies. We talk with them. Welcome to Insider Talks, the show where we interview China-based professionals on hot and thought-provoking topics. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm with Rui. Um, you are the founder and CEO of WeBrand, which is an agency. Um, um, you, you're presenting uh, yourself and your company as a branding and design strategy cabinet based in Shanghai and Paris. And what I really liked in what you sent to us to prepare this, this talk, this interview, is that you are putting in your presentation a vision a vision on how beauty and cosmetic companies especially, but not only, but specifically uh, beauty and um, cosmetic companies are playing within the Chinese market. And with most branding companies I talk to, I see they are talking with a lot of intuition, with a lot of, about their own feelings, their own intuition. But here, I found a document which was in between, in between data, observation, mm -hmm. what's working, mm -hmm. process, organization, and also perception, intuition, mm. and vision. And I really like that. That's really resonating mm. with us. That's really resonating with what we do at Dashway, which is a lot about data, a lot about logics and understanding. And sometimes we have difficulty to, uh, to connect sometimes with a pure intuition. And your PPT for one time uh, as a branding firm, is really resonating with, with what we do here. So thanks for being with us and taking the time, Rui. Um, thank you, thank you. Happy to be here. <laughs> I'd like to, to tell you a few words what you, what you did before. You, you have worked with uh, L'Oreal for some time. You have worked with yes, I, uh, yes. InnoHair uh, uh, afterwards and um, in uh, both Paris and then uh, Shanghai. But I'd, I'd like to, tell, I'd like to uh, introduce a bit more about um, your current company, uh, your branding and design strategy cabinet? Yeah, okay, okay. I will introduce a little bit about myself. So I started my career in L'Oreal. I spent about six to seven years in the Paris headquarter of L'Oreal Group uh, as a product manager, project manager, uh, basically um, in DMI. So it is a, this is a service, a core service of L'Oreal in charge of the global branding and a product strategy. And then I came back to China, my home country, uh, to be in charge also of uh, L'Oreal's uh, new brand, uh, Meiji. And then after Meiji, I went to InnoHerb, which is also a top tier Chinese beauty brand, a local brand. And then today, now I'm in uh, I founded uh, one year ago, the branding agency We, which is also a subsidiary of OIB China in Shanghai. Uh, basically, our service is more focused on uphill uh, strategy of a brand, which means comparing comparing to a lot of uh, marketing strategy or communication strategy or communication agencies. We are really focused in branding part, the product part, and all the BGC, let's say, um, brand uh, generated content part. So our service is more about uphill thinking, uphill strategy uh, of how to build a brand, a new brand in China, especially in beauty market. Yeah. How far do you go in terms of implementation? That's something I, I, I a question I had when reading your your, your document. Uh, are you working on the packaging and coming up with circulation of packaging, or are you coming mm -hmm. uh, more with the guidelines and then 
uh, someone else will work on the packaging and uh, advertisement and so on. Okay, so in terms of design, we of course we have designers. We have very good designers to work on packaging design, uh, on branding design, like uh, VI, uh, advertising, advertising as well. Um, however, I think we are uh, comparing to design agencies. We are quite different. We are more uh, focused on uh, brand brand thinking design which is more into how you can present your brand universe, visual universe, and how you can manage uh, all these design elements uh, and, emer and emerge all this, I'd say, inverge all these brand elements and visual elements into one brand universe. So we are uh, more focused on branding, visual branding design, and also on uh, design strategy and design management. So, for example, we don't really do like Tmall page design or a very um, like uh, touch point or merchandising design. I see. So it would be a, a, uh, so about the strategy and the guidelines on brand content. Yes. I see. Got it. Yes, exactly. Yes. So you sent to, to, to me this very, very good PPT, which is summarizing uh, part of your, of your way of thinking um, digital strategy uh, specifically. Yes. And um, you come up with a, a word which is called post-growth era. And the other mm -hmm. word you're using, which is basically uh, the, the other side of the cake, which is pre-growth era. What, what do you mean when you use this word uh, post-growth era and pre-growth era? Okay, so actually growth uh, obviously was uh, on top of mind of every brand. Like since 10 years, we are very used to having continuous growth, especially for hot sectors like cosmetic industry. But however, we uh, observed that about one or one year ago, the growth, like let's say a very natural organic growth becomes very, very difficult on different platforms on online and offline. So let's say growth is still uh, very promising and very possible in cosmetic industry, let's say, but how we can drive growth, all these success factors have changed and also uh, the consumer have changed. So uh, whether the brand, the new brands or old brands can seize the new opportunities of new growth is super important. So um, why we, we talk about post-growth because the growth is no longer the same growth or uh, the tools are no longer let's say the growth drivers are no, no longer the same. So uh, they're even like very dramatically different from let's say the pre-growth era or the normal growth era. So uh, yeah, let's, let's talk about uh, growth today. I see, I see. Um, and in you, so in this document, you're indeed talking about growth, but you're also talking about um, the growth of new brands, um, brands which mm -hmm. are uh, Chinese, for instance, uh, you're using the yes. word DTC, and DTC mm -hmm. is usually used as a word <laughs> direct to consumer, but I feel mm -hmm. you're also using the word DTC as doing Tmall consumer. Yes, so yes, I, yes. I, I felt sometimes I'm not sure the one you are using. When you say that uh, the, the global DTC trend, uh, if it's global, I believe it's direct to consumer, talking about the global, but in the Chinese market, uh, you said that Chinese uh, companies 
Chinese brands have emerged um, more rapidly and more um, with more visibility uh, over the last three years, if my understanding is correct, and with more DTC yeah. uh, approach. Would you mind telling us more about your perspective on DTC, direct to consumer? Some people are using the word private traffic as well. Yes, I see. private traffic is very new, like to say, very hot, a hot topic today. Uh, I, I feel DTC in, you know, it's also a very hot topic, but in China, DTC is quite different because, you know, we don't have like a very mature direct selling or direct communication system, ecosystem. However, in China, let's say the retail and data platforms are much more centralized, much more centric. Uh, everybody knows you have to seize Tmall and Tmall is a key uh, selling uh, channel. So that's why here uh, we we translate DTC to Douyin Tmall consumers. That means like Douyin is a representative of all this media or data or content platforms like Douyin, but also like Xiaohongshu. Tmall is the very centralized, very powerful uh, e-commerce platform, everybody knows it, and consumers are still consumers, and consumers is still the key, the heart uh, for D2C. So, yeah, that's why Chinese market is so different from, uh, from let's say, uh, American or European D2C market, because actually it's nearly impossible for a brand to start without any, you know, online data, online communication, or online uh, platforms. So it's very difficult for them to be very purely independent when they uh, when they were born. But of course, as to your point, um, people talk about um, about um, uh, private uh, field like a WeChat communication, but still, uh, when we talk about private data or private consumer cluster still need to have a data first. We need to have a consumer pool first. When we don't have a consumer pool, we cannot manage any private, so-called private data. So still we have to back to the reality that we still have to uh, be in the game of D2C uh, in a Chinese way. I see. When you say D2C, it's doing Tmall in this case. Exactly, exactly, yes. So, um to go further, um, in your presentation, you are talking about brands which emerge from a platform. I would call them a platform native, platform native brands. Yes, um, exactly. You would have Perfect Diary um, with Xiaohongshu. You would have mm -hmm. Little Dream Garden with Douyin or Florasis mm -hmm. with what we call um, uh, live streaming. And uh, yes. how do you how do you feel about the the, the, the way those new brands are operating, are they platform-centric by choice, by design, mm -hmm. because they chose to, to pick up Xiaohongshu or, or whatever, is part of the strategy? Or do you feel it's more by trial, try, tr to try many times, and so, which is a bit contrarian to what global brands do, because global brands tend to plan everything, tend to think mm. in terms of um, a, a long-term planning, where I feel, and you are going to tell me if you agree with me, that the new Chinese brands tend to be more in a trial mode and iterate and change over time. Is, is it your perception too, and uh, why they came up from a specific platform? 
I totally agree your point and your observation that strategy for Chinese, let's say for Chinese brands are much more pragmatic and more opportunity driven. So you talk about trial and that is very, very true that before choosing or just to have one bet on one platform, most of the brands are very, very smart to have a first round trial, second round trial, many round of trials, and then to bet on one platform. So actually, of course, we say with the premium or the, the dividend of a certain rising platform, uh, there will be um, accompanying, you know, this rise of platform, there will be new brands with this certain platform and they, maybe they have trial, they have just tried uh, many others and then they focus, they focus their strength, they, they, they just uh, put all their uh, budget and energy on one platform um, and then they succeed. Because, you know, in China, as it is also, in, we talk about Timor, but the media and the communication become more and more uh, omni-channel. So the, the focus, the strength needs to be really very focused. Yeah, one on one uh, media, on one channel, um, when you are very, still very young, very small brand. So that's why I think you're very right. Trial period uh, for a brand is super, super important. It's to try consumer feedback and it's to try um, the efficiency of a certain channel, a certain media and so on. So yes, exactly. So I think it is a choice of strategy, but after trials. And what you, you are saying as well, and it's, uh, it's some way related to, to what we just said, is that brands tend to to operate with one SKU, one brand, one type of traffic, one channel, one resource of com communication. Basically, instead of looking at a brand with a lot of SKU, uh, with uh, um, uh, different <laughs> channels, from a brand perspective, mm -hmm. it's very vertical. So uh, when you see um, a new um, brand taking off from a specific platform, do you feel it's more a product which is taking off on, on a platform or do you feel it's more uh, the brand in itself? And from a strategic point of view, uh, that could be, um, that could have a lot of consequences if a platform mm -hmm. is very linked to Xiaohongshu or to live streaming, mm -hmm. it could change yeah. the identity of the brand. But if it's a product and then we talk about one SKU, then that could be more seen and perceived and felt like mm. um, uh, just a reach, uh, an opportunistic uh, way of reaching out to specific crowds. How do you feel it's changing the, 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 the way of the identity of a brand to be native, native from a platform? Yes, so that's why we will talk about pre-growth and post-growth era. And before, you know, uh, like let's say two years ago, we talk about what we talk about, Baoping, which means hot, one hot sell SKU or star SKU for a certain brand. So people, uh, so brands tend to spend a lot of money on one star product and on one certain platform. Uh, but it's true that uh, consumer perceive the brand as a product, as one product-driven uh, brand, uh, or one category-driven brand. For example, last year, a very hot brand called uh, Color Key, uh, they just just succeeded with just one 
SKU, or let's say one product, which is the Airy Lip Gloss on, uh, you know, on Timor, they have sold more than 4 million uh, units. So just one SKU has supported the rise of a new brand. But it's true that in in post-growth, let's say post-growth area, uh, how to build a brand become uh, a real challenge instead of how to build one certain hot SKU. Because brands realize that after uh, one certain hot SKU, how your business can sustain and how the repurchase rate can be sustained. This is Actually, this is about the vitality of a brand. If you only have one SKU, if you are super vertical, of course, within a short time, you can have a super uh, big amount of uh, uh, of sales, but then how the, the brand is not sustainable. So then uh, on, on post growth era, let's say uh, brands are much more focused in a more, let's say synergetic, a more comprehensive approach of marketing. And they also um, broaden their uh, product pool. Uh, so they start to uh, develop new products, new categories. They start to expand uh, their their best their their basket. So, actually, it's true that if you want to be a sustainable brand, you have to be uh, multi uh, multi SKU. You have to be multi channel, and you also have to be uh, your content should be multi uh, dimensional in this way. Yeah. Do you feel the fact that some brands are starting from Xiaongshu, Douyin, or live streaming is um, is creating a, a, a specific identity? Do you feel that the identity of Perfect Diary is still linked to Xiaongshu, is still shaping its identity, or do you think do you feel that uh, actually it's just a start, it's just a mean, and it's not influencing that much their identity in terms of new brand? I think Perfect Diary is a very good case, a very successful case to, to show that how a brand can grow continuously at different life stage. Yeah. Perfect, Diary, Perfect Diary really chose a very wide strategy, as you said. At the very beginning, they focus on Xiaohongshu, but then when they have uh, a certain consumer base, they shipped, uh, you know, they shipped to also Douyin, and Douyin, they did a very good job on Douyin, and also with uh, you know, with the help of their investors, uh, they have a huge amount of budget to spend on Douyin and even Kuaishou or this kind of live streaming uh, platform. So when they have more uh, data, when they have more consumers, yeah, they grow very fast on Douyin. And then today, everybody t is talking about their private field, talk about their WeChat groups. So, you know, WeChat groups are kind of D2C, you know, kind of private channels. So at this stage, when they have a huge uh, amount of basis, huge amount of uh, uh, consumer data, they shift their strategy to not only a multi-category, but also multi-brand. Because for example, on, in their WeChat groups, uh, they sell every day different brands and different products, not only Perfect Diary. So that means Perfect Diary from you know, a, a one-channel uh, brand to multi-channel brand and to multi-category brand. And even today they become themselves, they become a channel because actually they become a retail brand somehow because they have multiple brands, but it's underwater, you know, because, you know, we can, we can see the brands selling in their private field. 
So that's a very smart and very consistent and very long-term strategy and very pragmatic as well. So Perfect Diary is like a success story or even a, a legend for a lot of, uh, a lot of cosmetic, even FMCG brands. True, actually, that reminds me Xiaomi getting their own private traffic on their own website. At some point, Xiaomi was only selling on their own website, and then they sold also products from Philips, products from other brands on their own yeah. websites, uh, because at some point, they, they realize they have their own traffic, they can monetize it with other products. Um, and at some point, maybe Perfect Direct could be seen as a, a beauty advisor, um, and not mm. only a brand selling their own products. Would it make sense? Yes, it can. From what, um, let's say, from what uh, we see today, how Perfect Diary manage their uh, their business, how they manage their growth, we see this trend. We see this, yeah, trend for them to to grow different brands to become a platform instead uh, instead of one brand. Yeah, this this can be possible, especially we are talking about their IPO. <laughs> so when they have more money, more investment uh, flowed in, maybe their strategy can be different. But uh, yeah, let's see. It's very hard to predict for now yet. We sure. see still very strong growth offline. For example, they're still expanding their offline business, their their flagships, you know, very, very fast. So yeah, let's see if they will become Xiaomi or Zara. <laughs> so yeah. let's see. Good comparison. Um, about yeah. um, Chinese brands, so we mentioned a few of them. And in, you, in your um, vision as well, uh, you... You are saying that um, uh, we see that after the peak of local brands, so local being Chinese because we're in China, uh, the Chinese consumers are turning to premium brands, global brands, and expert brands. And mm. uh, usually those uh, characteristics are more um, linked to, to well-established foreign brands, um, and mm. premium global expert brands. Uh, mm -hmm. or do you do you feel that does it mean that you feel that Chinese brand in order to sustain the business they have to become premium they have to become global as well so to expand overseas and to be global brands and they have to become expert brands on a specific category if my understanding is correct is it what you are envisioning for the Chinese brands and the next step of development for them Mm, exactly. We we saw this trend of uh, somehow premiumization uh, of global, uh, sorry, of local brands, and because we see the rise of Z generation, and uh, Z generation is they have a higher spending power, purchase power than the X generation. Even they are much younger. Even some of them haven't been uh, professional active. They haven't uh, earned their own money, but they are very powerful, you know, uh, consumers. Uh, for example, we have the data of like one, like Z generation, in average, they can spend about 4,000, from uh, 3,000 to 4,000 yuan every month. You know, it's like they're, um, they're available uh, spending every month comparing to, you know, 2,000 average, Chinese average. So actually, Z gen these generation they are let's say they're richer uh comparing to 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 their um their parents so that's why um they are very they're more free and they have more capacity to buy a higher uh, higher priced um products and not only good for value 
products. So we we saw that their choices, their purchasing behavior becomes much more complex because um, uh, somehow they're uh, they're a little bit conflictual because they're super uh, rational consumers. They need to dig into every product. They had a very over like very thorough study of every product, the, the, the product technology, how they made it, what is a brand, how, how the KOL talk about them. So they made a very thorough study before the, their purchase. But on the other hand, they're also very intrusive. They're very uh, emotional driven, emotion driven. For example, we see this shift of um, a value, of a societal value or social value, uh, purchasing of sustainability issues, um, of all this, you know, apart from functionality, apart from value for money, uh, thinking Z generations, let's say Z gens, they are more um, rational, but at the same time, they have different, uh, more complex uh, drivers, purchasing drivers in their mind. So that become very, very complex for, uh, for, for brands to, to manage their content and to manage their communication. So uh, that's why we see uh, there are certain premization uh, in certain brands. For example, uh, Florisis, Huaxizi, which mm -hmm. has about 30, even 30 to 20% more um, expensive than Perfect Diary. But just July, we saw Florisis has surpassed Perfect Diary on Tmall, their sales. So that's why we are talking about new growth drivers, not only about uh, quantity, but also about quality, about content, about emotion. So about a, a lot of other factors, about design, about aesthetics. So this can be really more um, more complex, more multi-dimensional for for new brands if they want to have a premium. Uh, they if they want to have more uh, gross margin, they really need to build this uh, very complex brand content and uh, product quality. That's that's a very interesting contradiction. Uh, you you your work is focusing on branding strategy strategic branding, and um, a lot of branding firms are going to insist on the emotional benefits. But here, you are also insisting on the functional benefits as well, because Gen Z is trying to deeply understand the product um, yeah. and being influenced by the emotions. And I'd like to take some of the examples you are mentioning in your, in your PPT. Uh, one case you worked on, if, I'm, if my understanding is correct, is Wonder Lab, the meal replacement for weight loss purpose, which has a yes. very clear purpose, uh, very mm -hmm. functional. So when you have such a functional um, brand, which is going to talk about weight loss, how do you play with its branding in order to convey emotions as well towards, um, towards Gen Z? What was the logic behind, the, the thinking behind? Yeah, so that's why we talk about, not only about product, but also brand. So a brand is a sustainable, a sustainable brand must be both uh, rational and emotional because both you have to be driven by the product itself and also by the, uh, the loyalty as well. So how you build your loyalty is a very, you know, 
um, uh, comprehensive subject. You talk about Wanderer Lab. Let's talk about also ingredient-driven clusters, consumer clusters, because we in cosmetic and beauty industry for a long time, like for about two or three years, uh, we see the rise of Dang, which means ingredient-driven products. Uh, it was at first um, brought from uh, overseas brand like uh, DCM Group, like um, Ordinary, and then developed by Home Facial Pro. So they are um, a kind of, you know, a type of brands that are super rational and they focus on one or two certain ingredients uh, and the percentage of their formula, like a very numeric and very rational and how it functions, what is the technology behind and what is the benefit, the result and so on. So consumers, they are educated by this kind of brands and they are because also you know uh, with Xiaohongshu, with Douyin, this kind of education become very effective and very possible. So consumer had like not you know comparing to 10 years ago we only see TVC, we only see about you know the, the press, magazines. We cannot have a very thorough, very complete information about uh, the function, the functionality part. So brand only talk about stories, you know, like a brand like L'Oreal or uh, Estee Lauder, they focused very much on storytelling. But as uh, the rise of uh, ingredient driven or technology or formula driven brands, consumers are much more intelligent. So they're uh, even we, we say that now today, the, the consumers, they're intellectuals, they're skincare, or they're beauty intellectuals, because that's why we see the rise of KOC. Uh, they're consumers, but they're also KOLs. They're also uh, professionals in some in some way. So that's why this kind of uh, rationalization of branding has been very on trend uh, during the past two years, three years. How, um, however, we also s saw that brands like a Wonder Lab, to your point, they successfully combine both functionality, product, uh, both technology and ingredients with aesthetics, with uh, a kind of style, a kind of uh, uh, emotional value. So uh, this combination uh, of both characters uh, become very important for today's brands because now if we only talk about ingredient, it is just uh, or about function, it is only the baseline of a brand. So if you don't have your own style, if you don't have your own tone and manner, if you don't have your own system, uh, value system, it's very difficult for a brand to, 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 to lastingly um, catch the consumers, you know, uh, their attention. And Wonder Lab did a very good job at the beginning uh, focusing on product itself, focusing very much on design. Uh, we helped them on the design or the VI uh, system or the uh, product design. And we also won the Pan Awards uh, award, by the way. So they, um, we, we know that Wonder Lab is a very function-driven uh, function uh, category. You know, this category is very functional, of course, but the, the founder uh, is very, you know, care very much about beauty, about design, about aesthetics, about style. So we see 
the packaging, the visual universe, the tone and manner of Wonder Lab is very different from other brands, you know, like Ruofan, which was very serious, uh, super rational, super function driven. So that made this brand much more sexy, much more attractive to, to young girls because their TA are first tier or, or second tier uh, um, urban girls. So they care about function, of course, but they also care about style. So this made this brand very, very um, rich in content and very uh, attractive. And today, uh, last uh, last month, uh, last last month, yes, I saw also they have a promotion, a kind of crossover with uh, QQ. Also, they have um, a crossover with you know LGBT community. So all this kind of spirit, this kind of style, can help a brand to be stronger and to be more uh, personalized in some way. How, what what would be your process as a as a branding um, strategic firm uh, to to think on um, um, the, the the vi of such a brand where the functional benefits are key because it's a weight loss so you, you are you are looking at um, um, it's something you are going to put in your body it's something that uh, has to be secure and you you might be tempted to insist on the performance, on the security, on the safety, on, on good it is for, you, for your body. But you came up with a design which is much more like inspiring about, uh, about um, a, a very artistic, uh, with yeah, very arty. Marilyn, yeah, arty, with Marion Monroe pictures and people dancing, basically bringing <clears throat> a bit of happiness and colors in life. Uh, how did, what the process of thinking, of work that uh, pushed you to go to this, uh, to this result? Yes, actually, when we see this result today, we see it's very arty, very athletic, very lively, very fashionable, very stylish. But actually, as you said, it has been, you know, going through a long process uh, of, uh, of thinking and design thinking. Uh, because back to the product, back to the category, it is a very rational category. And it's also, there is one, uh, one point that is a, a kind of very key challenge for this kind of category is that consumers tend to buy this kind of functional food, but it's very difficult for them to repurchase or to continue this habit, this behavior, you know. So this is a key challenge for this kind of functional food because consumers are very easily to give up you know, or to forget. So we want this product, this packaging can somehow attract them and have somehow to remind the consumers that some moment, some life moment, you can enjoy. Of course, you can have your benefit, your functional benefit, but it's also a moment of joy. It's not a moment of just only about to suffer a kind of bad taste food or to suffer from your weight, your, your, your weight losing program, but also it's a magical moment because back to the strategy Wonder Lab from their, their, their brand name, Wonder is about wonderful, about, you know, um, magic. It's about Wonderland. So this kind of magic uh, in the brand, we want, to, um, we want to convey to consumers. We want to convey them like 
this is, can be a magical moment when you have your beauty dream, when you have your beauty meal. It is not a boring moment. It's not a banal moment. It's not a routine moment, but it, it can be a magical moment when you open this uh, little fatty bottle, this colorful bottle. You are you are kind of cheer cheered. You're not like obsessed, <laughs> upset, you know. So this kind of uh, um, drive, this kind of emotional drive or kind of incitation uh, can help consumers to enjoy this experience, this, this um, you know, because it's a meal, re meal replacement. So uh, it can be tough to, 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 you know, to keep this, to keep this routine. So that's Balance. why we, we want to make it more, yeah, more magical, more wonderful, and uh, more interesting, yeah, to, to make it a more interesting gesture. You mentioned Gen Z, uh, Gen, Gen Z, um, which is uh, part of a bigger uh, topic, which are new, cost new consumers. Uh, and uh, the other new you are using is new usage scenario, new purchase scenario, new content scenario, new product need and new emotional needs. If we look at what's new in, in, in the beauty, and cosmetic sectors over the last uh, three years and going now, now, what would be your take in terms of new customers, new new scenario, um, and, and new product need? You are mentioning, for instance, as some examples to illustrate the new product need, a Z, Z generation cool makeup, cool makeup, uh, maybe less functional, maybe less professional, but to look cool with Crocs, as an example. Uh, you are using, yeah. well, an ideal product for people troubled by insomnia. So with a, a new need uh, to, to, to treat in, insomnia um, and a, a, a good looking option for, for quick and easy muscle. But let's, let's focus on, on maybe beauty and cosmetic. And what would be for you the, the, really the, 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 the trends which are uh, uh, sizable and which will last uh, for you, which are not like you say, uh, some um, uh, traffic dividend and pre-era growth where you capitalize, but you cannot grow with it long-term. What would be a long-term mega trend you are seeing, seeing changing? Okay, so for Chinese consumers, um, we, still, we still see that, um, especially among Z generation, there is a very deep need for Chinese brands, but Chinese in a way of, of culture, in a way of aesthetic. So today we see good for value brands like Perfect Diary, but we see Perfect Diary still using uh, the scenario of storytelling of uh, like same as uh, Western brands, their visual, you know, their models, even they use their, you, you, they use like um, blonde and foreign models and their brand design is not like very uh, Chinese driven, but we saw the rise of uh, florists, Hua Xizi. They are using more Chinese elements. They are based on Chinese culture and they're based on Chinese aesthetics. So on Chinese storytelling, so we see this need of Z generation because they are very proud of being Chinese. They are very, um, they are very eager to have uh, qualitative, but also beautiful products uh, made in China and created by Chinese. So we see this kind of emotional need 
for younger uh, Chinese consumers uh, to, to, to expect. Uh, this is about culture-driven and aesthetic-driven uh, brands. So this value can always last. How do you explain that? Is it uh, the need for identity? And we see in the world that um, if it seems that a lot of parts of the world need more identity. Some is through religion, some is through nationalism, mm. some is through mm. pride of their own country. Is it something, is it the same reason you feel that in the rest of the world is a, a need for identity for this Z generation, which want, doesn't want maybe to be defined only by the type of work they do, the type of studies they did, the, or the type of, or the level of money they earn, or the, but also by their roots, the, the culture. Is it, is it some, how do you explain it? You're very right. I think uh, because China, uh, you know, the China Chinese market um, is still at a different stage of uh, comparing to American uh, market, and Chinese com consumers are very at a still different age, still different yeah life stage of cons uh, of uh, foreign or Western consumers. Because we were like me, I'm post 1880s. We're used to. Um, to consider um, foreign products, foreign brands are uh, more premium, uh, more valorized, uh, are, are more you know expensive, and uh, Chinese brands are low cost, and Chinese brands are not like value driven. But today we see this shift, and this shift maybe already happened in Japan or in America. Uh, many, many years ago. But today we see the new generation, they are embracing this shift. And this shift is, of course, about um, about society, about e economy in Ch of China. So we see this shift is more uh, uh, like a holistic shift. But at the same time, as you said, apart from very big scale, like culture-driven uh, motivation, we also see the core you know, the, the niche brands, core niche brands have been growing very fast. So that's why we say the Z generation Chinese consumers, they are very uh, complex because uh, already, you know, Chinese population is so big. Tier one city from tier four city, tier five cities, the Z gen, we cannot generalize one type of Z gen. So in general, and most of them, like many of them, are very proud, of course, being Chinese, but also we see uh, the rise of uh, personal identity, the rise of uh, cool brands, or the rise of a certain different, dif more differentiated style in their taste. So especially in, in uh, uh, up-tier cities. So we see that's why Chinese markets, Chinese consumers are so complicated because we cannot really generalize uh, them to, into one type uh, of people. But that's why the, the market is still very dynamic and there are very, a lot of opportunities for new brands to come into this game because the need gap is still there in terms of culture, in terms of style, in terms of beauty, aesthetic, in terms of coolness. Uh, so I, I would say it's, it's very complex and very in, uh, integral. So 
yeah, let's see uh, new brands need to focus, need to have their own identity, uh, either culture-driven, either style-driven, either uh, value-driven. So yeah, so they, uh, apart from being product-driven, data-driven, yeah, now they have to find their uh, real brand identity to talk to a certain group of identity, certain group of people, but that is a choice. That normally is defined by the brand DNA. Yeah. You mentioned the value-driven brands. Uh, that could be also one of the mega trends to, to look at in, in, uh, exactly. in, in beauty and, and cosmetics, is, is, is what values. From, from the research we did in the past, we found out that the values uh, in China could not resonate the same way as they do in the West. Um, to take one example, the uh, male-female gender balance uh, equality mm. uh, seems to be mm. conveyed in China like uh, um, um, woman power uh, or uh, mm. a powerful woman or energy to uh, successful uh, uh, woman. Um, and it seems that the value-driven brand would not be on the on, on the same values, um, the emphasis on the same elements uh, in, in China and the West. What would be the values which resonate for you in China now? Yes, so it's true that it's quite different from, it's different, but it's also, let's say, universal somehow, because uh, Chinese, let's say, we, we saw that the rise of the, 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 the caution or um, the, the, the caution in sustainability issues in China as well. Uh, for example, uh, the coffee, um, the instant uh, coffee brand, the Saturn Bird, Saturn Ban, uh, they also have their uh, project of uh, recollecting their used bottles, their used uh, packagings, and a lot of uh, consumers are very keen to join this program. Um, and they're very, you know, they, they agree very much of this kind of uh, sustainable approach uh, of uh, many brands. They think it's very, very cool. And they think it is a new way of, uh, of uh, consuming. So that kind of sustainab sustainab sustainability issue, this kind of, uh, you know, world-friendly, uh, environment-friendly concern is really rising in brand, in brand building, in brand value building. Yes, and also in terms of uh, woman power, uh, let's say, I think it's more universal as well. We saw the rise of uh, Me Too, um, this, uh, you know, this kind of campaign uh, over the world. But in China, still, maybe we are at a different stage of woman power. Maybe the def definition of woman power is a little bit different, you know, you know, in a Chinese context. So uh, now a lot of especially makeup brands, you know, it's very common for them to encourage girls to have their own makeup style, don't to be um, very, you know, sweet, princess-like, but to be very um, outstanding, very audacious, you know, to, have, to create their own image, their own personality, to be very independent from their family or from their, their boyfriend. So this kind of trend, I feel it's more universal, but it's true that it is the beginning of uh, a lot of brands, especially the beginning of a lot of brand building uh, approach that uh, we, we promote not only, not only about the product itself, the function itself, 
but also uh, what the brand supportive, what the brand representative. So uh, that's also, let's say, go back to the question of, uh, of uh, emotional value or societal value. Uh, it's of course can be a lasting driver for a lot of brands to attract their new consumers. We, we see that uh, brands are testing with consumers, uh, as we said, and Chinese brands have been, have been very good at being able to uh, do trial testing and so on. But as a strategist, as a branding strategist, um, how, do you, how much do you um, take into consideration consumers? When we look at some uh, brands like AMS, uh, very luxury brands, they usually say we don't ask consumers what they want because we decide about what they want and we decide about what they like because we know what is good taste. And in some way, uh, that's what Apple has been doing. Apple has been has been doing that. Nobody would yeah. have been saying that nobody would know that they want an iPhone before we create an iPhone and how how it should be and how simple and design it should be. We create and they buy because we have a good taste. So it's a bit contrarian on how brands um, uh, uh, were were managed in the past as um, the good taste was already known, uh, interacting with consumers. Um, iterating with consumers, doing trials with consumers, seems to be actually uh, a bit contrarian. Do you feel the same? And if so, how would you? How how is it managed? Yes, you talked about actually mega brands like uh, uh, Hermes, like uh, Apple. You know, of course, I think they are, you know, mega brands, world-leading world mega brands, and they can be very aggressive and very, uh, you know, influ influential. And, but when we talk about smaller local brands, it's true that at the very first stage um, of, of the brand, they need to, uh, they need to firstly understand uh, deeply their consumers, understand deeply their need before they want to, you know, promote uh, uh, something higher than uh, their expectation. So first, I think understanding the consumer's need for a young brand, for a new brand is essential at the beginning. But you're very right that as a brand, not only uh, a product, you need to be somehow leading. You need to inspire the consumers, especially for beauty brands. You know, it's about beauty, it's about uh, imagination. And we also talked about culture. So um, that's, again, we talk about the multi-dimensional brand building. Um, uh, this mission becomes much more, you know, um, uh, much more synergetic. So at one hand, you need to understand deeply, you need to do a lot of trials, a lot of data, to understand and to offer what consumers need. But on the other hand, you still need to be yourself. You still to promote your values, your idea, your style. So I think it's never uh, one or, or the other choice. Uh, if you have the ambition to be a real brand, uh, you have to be an inspirational brand mm -hmm. like well, Haiti has done, you know, Haiti is just a tea brand. It's like uh, milk tea. It's a very simple products. It's just like very street uh, boutiques, like street stores. But when you see their content, when you see the content of uh, Haiti, you see a lot of creative ins inspirations. 
So, and they're at the same time, their product is so good tasting and they're very tasty. And they deeply studied the taste of Chinese consumers. And then at the same time, their BGC content, their, their content is super, you know, irrelevant to the tea, to the milk tea. So we say we say the the hay tea is a is a creative company instead of a milk tea company. Yeah, when you <laughs> exactly. PGC, so you have to product, be both. Product generating content, right? PGC, and you're using uh, PGC and UGC, which is uh, user generated content, and BGC as brand generated content. Uh, let's say PGC, you can, yeah, you can say it's product driven, but also it's more like professional generated uh, content. It's like a KOL generated uh, content. So BGC is uh, on the uphill, yes, of, of the brand content system. Yeah, so it, it needs to be managed and initiated um, by the brand. So this is a proposal. This is offer of a brand. Yeah. So what, what in brand management is contrarian is to um, uh, to maybe um, uh, adapt too much to 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 clients consumers which would turn into more functional um, um, identity than emotional. Uh, we just seen that as actually something that has to be done for newer brands and that makeup brands could overlook. And there is another point, a, a bit of 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 a contrarian. Uh, management of brands uh, we have witnessed in China, which is co-branding. We have seen we are seeing mm. a lot of brands doing co-branding with British Museum, with Gugong, with Forbidden City. Yeah, and uh, there is a question which is raising about why and why doing those co-branding at the end of the day, and is it good to co-brand with so many uh, brands and also always the same institution like British Museum or uh, Forbidden mm. City? What's your, what's, your, what's your understanding uh, of the use of, of doing such co-branding and how far can it go? Are we, are we reached saturation? It's true that you, you see that a lot of co-branding was happening, especially last year. We saw a lot of museum IPs, you know, cultural driven IPs uh, are cooperating with many different categories, different brands. Uh, and kind of consumers now tend to be a little bit tired of, you know, repetitive same IP uh, crossover with different uh, different category and brands. But it's true that um, co-branding is a very effective way uh, to expand uh, their consumer bases and also to attract new consumers. Because for example, um, a, a lipstick brand, how they can talk about beauty when their aesthetic system is not yet very mature. So they have to uh, be back be, to be backed by a much stronger uh, aesthetic system, which is more culture driven, which is more history driven. So that's why a lot of beauty brands, they tend to cooperate with museums, IPs, with uh, uh, his, uh, art history, uh, with different art pieces. So because it's a quite easy way uh, to convey their um, beauty uh, perception and also to attract consumers' attention uh, to their beauty system. Although some of them, maybe they haven't built their aesthetic system yet. So that is a very pragmatic way for uh, new brands to build a kind of uh, visual 
kind of visual and a product content uh, to extend their consumer base. But as to your point that um, after all, it is, it is still about your own brand. You know, you still have to know uh, who you are and what is your own brand identity. And when you know who you are, you know who, uh, with whom to cooperate with. So uh, then you will be more selective with um, the brands that can have a real synergy of, of, of your product and your identity. And it should be very mutual. So it's not just about expanding, not only about expanding your consumer bases or consumer attention, but also about your own brand building uh, process. So it's, I think for now, uh, the new brands are more cautious about just simple brand crossover uh, because we see the decline of this kind of influence, this kind of campaign. So I think still after all, it's a, it, it is a question about, uh, about who you are and how you can uh, build and how you can enrich your brand content uh, in your own way. Uh, so yeah, so crossover is just one of many tools to build your brand content. It should not be uh, an overall um, tool uh, at every uh, situation, every occasion. Yeah, I, I, we we are heading to the end of of, of the um, of the talk, and uh, the, the the feeling I get when discussing with you is that um, when we look, we look at the bigger picture, um, it seems like um, a much more difficult and complex environment than we could have thought before, where distribution was much much more concentrated, where the the tools were not changing that rapidly where it was difficult to create a new brand and, and it seems much easier now. It means much easier as well to associate your brand with um, 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 iconic um, institutions like, like museums and so on. And it, it looks much more like a, a guerrilla marketing where you, you have to win one by one, block by block, uh, uh, target by target, TA by TA, target audience is what you were using. Uh, do, do you have the same feelings that you might have to conquer niche by niche now uh, to be successful than uh, going for the mass market? Uh, so I think niche or not really depends on uh, each brand, their own strategy. Strategy, For example, the strategy of Perfect Diary is definitely not niche at all. So they actually, as you said, they conquer um, different groups one by one, different channels one by one, different communities one by one. So I think it's still a choice. It's a very strategic choice of, of each brand. If you still want to keep small and beautiful niche brand to attract to a certain uh, kind of uh, community cluster, or you still have, you're very ambitious, you want to go up to IPO and you want to be very massive. So uh, massive or niche, um, it, it is really about a, the brand choice. It's, um, uh, it's not a, a run or right or wrong, you know, question. So yeah, but after all, it's about TA. It's about who you are talking to uh, at a certain, a uh, certain period of your 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 branding uh, process, who you want to talk to and who they are. Um, so, what kind of content you offer to them, and what kind of uh, resonation that you can create, what kind of dynamic you can create with uh, your TA, 
I think it's still a mess or not. Still, this is a key. The the the, link, the, the conversation, uh, the di the dialogue with your TA uh, is or your TAs uh, are super super important. That's why we are still very we focus. We give a lot of emphasis on on content, on brand content, because that is a content that can convey uh, your brand, your brand values, your all your brand um, system, your brand. Uh, identity and so on. So the content-driven communication can be very important to um, to new era uh, brands and also to new era uh, Zgen, for example, consumers. Thank you very much, Lee. It's already soon. Thank you. Thank hour. you for having me.